0: Previously, on the Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: I got into the room with six minutes left in the first quarter, and the game was over. <laughs> and my dog wasn't even interested in watching the game. I was surprised because <laughs> he likes to watch with me usually. Now, he was very locked into the first half of the Dallas Phoenix game, but I could not get him to pick his head up from his bully stick to watch any of that game. It was basically over. Yeah, he knew, he knew there was a loser. <laughs> that was a, a loser game. The Tony Kornizer Show is on now. So, to that point, that was Tim Legler talking about his dog, whose name is Guinness. Yes. He sent us a picture of Guinness driving the car. (laughs) I mean, it's a very talented dog. The dog's got his front paws. 10 and 2. Yeah, (laughs) on the wheel, and his, you know, feet are on the brakes and the pedals. So now he reaches the uh, clutch. It's a really good dog. (laughs) It's a really good dog. It really is. Yeah. Beautiful photos. And he. Travels with the dog. I love that. So a John Steinbeck kind of deal. Yeah, that's It's right. really good. So I got this note here from Len Rubin. I'm just going to read it verbatim. I want to see if Michael is responsive to this. Dear Tony, I've been reading you, watching you, listening to you for years. It feels like we've been operating in kind of parallel modes for a long while. I grew up in Baldwin, and Baldwin is where my cousins Alan and Nancy grew up, but they went to Baldwin High, and Len Rubin says he went to Uniondale High and competed against the guys from Hewlett in the quarter mile. I graduated in '64. <coughs> so I think I'm a little older than you are. Not much. I also went to summer camp in the Poconos, Camp Snow Hill in Lake Como, Pennsylvania, and I know Snow Hill well. I'm pretty sure Snow Hill's colors... Um, were red and gray, I'm pretty sure. But I could be wrong. Could be blue and white to go as well. Go to a well. couple dances but there. But Lake Como, Pennsylvania. Como
2: has sweaters. Hmm?
1: Go to a couple dances there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so uh, Lake Como, Pennsylvania is you know, where Camp Starlight was and where Camp Tioga was. I'm sure I pitched at least one game against Camp Kiyuma. I went to school in upstate New York. This is a very humble brag. He goes, I went to school in upstate New York, Cornell. So you're smarter than I am. And I have some great memories from road trips to SUNY Binghamton. We raised our kids in Chappaqua, where I believe a buddy of yours from college, Larry Ganon. I heard you mention him on the podcast one time. Larry Gannon was the point guard on the Harper College basketball team who was five foot six and 125 pounds. And if there was a three-point shot, would have averaged 26 <laughs> points a game in, in college. He was that good. His kids, Becca and Gabby, were classmates of my kids, a lovely guy. But the big connection is golf. I retired from Pfizer. In 2011, I took up golf. And boy, am I hooked. I now live in East Hampton, and I play as much as I can. I decided that I'd rather leave whatever fortune I have to my children instead of the guardians of courses like Maidstone and Shinnecock. So my home course is Montauk Downs, one of the great public courses in the country. Here's the real reason I'm writing. I'd like to invite you and your son, Michael, to play at the Downs. I'd arrange everything, including accommodations and fine dining. So what do you think? Can I entice you to make your way to the lovely east end of Long Island? Now, I'm unfamiliar with Montauk Downs. I guess that's further out than the Hamptons courses because Montauk... The next stop is Europe.
2: <laughs> it's going to be a long drive for you.
1: Yeah, it's the next stop is Europe. But I would do this. I would do this. We could say hi to Sally. Sally oh, yeah. lives in East Hampton. We could do all Make that. Make a work trip. This, okay. this sounds like, you know, he's... We have... He's right. We have parallel lines, you know, but I know all the things he's talking about. So that's very nice. I hand that over to Michael. Um, another thing that I want to talk about today is I have exercise class in a little while with Helen. Mm-hmm. Helen... Um, trains all the old men at Columbia. You gotta be old to be trained by Helen, and then Helen makes you a little bit stronger all the time through things by core exercises and planking. And you would say, Michael, that I, I, I drive the ball. When I hit the ball well, I drive the ball as well as the I am The
2: first ever. thing everyone notices about your game is how far you hit, how reliable you are, but how
1: far you hit your driver now. So then that's because of Helen. I mean, well, you're, you're getting close to 200 again. It would be really great to do that, although it, it, it seems like diminishing returns as you get older. Anyway, um, Ronnie Neumeyer of Neumeyer Flyer is presenting a concert in Helen's cul-de-sac. These are the Kensington cul-de-sac concerts. And this is tomorrow night from 7.30 to 9.30. And I don't know if Ronnie's going to play, but Tom Lofgren Lofgren is going to play. Cal Everett, Chuck Sullivan, Gary Smallwood. They're going to play. They're going to do Beatles songs. Um, This is at 10109 Thornwood Road. It's a free outdoor show. You bring your lawn chair and a cooler, and then you tip the band. Yeah. And if the band entertains you, you tip the band. You throw at least, I would think, a twenty in there. Absolutely. You know, you know If you really had a good time, maybe even more than that yeah, per person. So, well, for the group that you're with, maybe a fifty if you got three or four people, I would think. Or salt if you don't have actual money. Yeah. One, uh, Himalayan, <laughs> Himalayan pink sea One o one o nine Thornwood Road, and this is in um, Kensington. And this is tomorrow night, starting at seven thirty to nine thirty. That's and great. I know you think. Now I've heard their music. I have their CDs. They're really good. Yeah. Let me just put it this way: like you probably sit down and you're in your room, and a Beatles song comes on, and you sing along, and maybe your wife sings along, your kids sing along. If you're younger, maybe your mom sings along. You're not as good as these guys. <laughs> I don't care how good you are. You're not as good as these guys. They do it all the time. They're professionals. They're really good. So that's a beautiful pocket of Kensington. You know, go out there and, and enjoy yourself tomorrow night. And I hope it doesn't rain. Pick up some cheesecakes from Continental before. Yeah, you can do all of those things. Um, do we have some news? Yes, we have some news. I could talk about going to the Mets and the Nats, but I'm not going to do that. I saw yet. that on Instagram. What I saw you? I saw you made it out of the attic. You were with me. You I, took me. Just, I, I, you I, drove I, me. I saw, it was confirmed by Ride Home's Instagram. But yes, you, I did drive you. Would you tell the people the driving you did to get us to the ballpark and how great so it was? This is very.
2: This is very inside. We were coming down the sort of six ninety five three ninety five way to get to the park, but we did the loop. We we went down two ninety five to cut over to Virginia. Went into so we Virginia, crossed so the so we river could come twice, back over oh, the, the other, river the other way uh, to enter sort of by the uh, this, the the uh, you know the home plate
1: side. Yeah. Um, You did such a great job. And, And, you know, even if you're not getting there as quickly as you want to, when you're moving in the car, you feel good. Correct. You feel better moving than you just understand what game day at the traffic side is, of the road. But the worst is when you are stuck at an exit, and you can see the stadium, and you can't get to the stadium. And clearly, Michael was very angry in the car and decided he would take the long route. And <laughs> the long route, for all I know, could have been in, into New Jersey. As I long got as you there. We you were in the elevator great. by first pitch. It was great. You did a Even great
2: better, job. we were able to get our car out of uh, out of the impound lot going home.
1: Now, you didn't like the way I behaved. I thought I behaved great. You were very close to. A, do you know who I am? Situation. I didn't say that. You, <laughs> it was implied. Let me explain. I started happened. walking yeah, the... towards somebody. Okay. Let me ex- <laughs> let me explain what happened. As I sat patiently. The waiting. day before the game, I called up the socialite, and I said, "Could you do me a really big favor? We've got tickets to this game on Wednesday night. So Tuesday, I called. Could you do? Me, could you ask somebody? Could we get into the?" player's lot. Because I know where the player's lot is. It's a quick in, it's a quick out. But it's never full. Right. It's never full. And Alan yeah. arranged that. Alan arranged that for us. So they they left. Our names were left at the player's lot. They let us right in. We gave the name. They checked the name. They told us where to park. They checked the car for explosives with a dog, which is fine. And they do that for every parking yes. lot. Yes. And so. they let us in. And so now on the way out of the game, we take the elevator down to that level the lowest possible level and we're gonna go walk into the parking lot through the hallway and a couple of security guards a couple of women say we just, you just can't do that I go what do you mean said we, we got to get we have to get our supervisor so they called the supervisor it was taking a little longer than I hoped it would take could you call him again I believe you' I said words. could yeah could you call him again please I said please could you call him again please. And they said he's on his way, and a guy gets down there, and we, I, we explain. I, we have our car there, you know. I don't do anything more than that, and he walks away from me. He talks into a microphone on his chest, and he walks away for a little bit. And now it's really been it's about 10 discretion. Ten to twelve minutes at this point. No, it has been it has been close to five total minutes since we first talked to the security. It feels guards. like an hour and a half. Maybe twenty that. minutes. <laughs> maybe twenty minutes. So I walk over to him. And I don't say anything like do you know who I am. I say the following sentence. Do you think maybe you could walk us out to our car? Well, That seems a perfect. Now Michael always thinks when Michael sees me with people who are walking dogs, he thinks I behave badly and I often do because I try <laughs> to get them to move away from my house with their dog. I don't usually say anything, but I am my posture is bad. Right. It's threatening. I think that would be fair to say. It's threatening. But in this particular case, I ambled over really nice. You could see me coming. I you just walked said, with
2: purpose. You walked into a ticketed area, an area in which you did not have a ticket.
1: Well, what was the ticket that we had? Why couldn't so we, we get so back is, out? This
2: is hard to explain. If, uh, it's, if you've ever been in the bowels of any stadium, there, this, we walked through the players' lot. This is where the umpires go. This is where you have a lot of activity going on during the game. We're walking over to what becomes a service elevator that will take you to the main concourse and is going to take us to the area where we have a ticket. Uh, right home and the PTI and the ESPN crew uh, had a half-capacity
1: box where we were able Norby to Norby Williamson pass. got it. It's one of the great suites I've ever been in uh, in my the life. Best, the best, the best G- of Nat's park It that was so in terms great, and I'll, I'll do a
2: comparative thing in a second. But so please. to get to there, you walk by what is then the the on field ticketed area that used to be called the President's Club or right. the Delta Sky Club. I'm now it's sure, called
1: the Terra Club. I'm or am not sure the what it is now.
2: So we had our name on a list, but it was one of those. As long as you can get to the gate, they'll let you in. But there's no real there's no real proof. There's no
1: lanyard. There's no credential that gets you there because so, you're just on a list. Okay, but the picture of your ticket. The tickets that we had, the picture of those tickets, couldn't get us into that it area to get to the parking lot. No, because there's no. So, did you know this when we parked that we would have this sort of trouble? I did not. Because if you we knew that, I would have tried to make an arrangement beforehand.
2: In hindsight, we should have just left the normal exit and walked around to the entrance yeah. we came from, the outside entrance, because that would have it would have been easier just to get to someone who who recognizes.
1: Anyway, finally, what the guy says to me, "Oh, Mister Kornheiser," This is "Yeah." Um, and he got another woman to take us, and she took us a shortcut, the shortcut way. I've never been that way. And it was really nice. Because I still
2: think they didn't trust that we had a car there. They, she had backup. Did you see following?
1: No, but well, There's really? someone on the tail. Well, what, yeah. what would we do? What would be our, mo- our, our aim? I have no clue. We
2: wanted to, to, to hang out what? by the umpire's car to complain about a called strike? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Blue. I yeah. mean,
1: so <laughs> You're blind up. You're blind anyway. up. You must be out of your mind. <laughs> so Norby Williamson is vice president of ESPN and a longtime friend of mine, um, and my boss. Uh, Norby arranged, because Norby loves the Mets, and Norby's wanted to see the Mets and the Nats. And Norby also did this wonderful thing for the people that work in Washington, D.C. on the shows. He got a suite. That's amazing. And it's not like I've been in suites on an upper level, and they're nice, but they are narrow. They're a lot more crowded. They have a couple of rows of outside seats. I didn't want to be inside at all. I had a mask with me. I put the mask on in critical circumstances, but you didn't need it in the suite because it was totally open air. It was vast. Uh, this is the level where the suites one, two, one through seven are. Sure, and this was Suite One. So you got this the, was you, one. You got the view out over the scoreboard.
2: The you view got to was see
1: great. All action on the the on view. The field. the, the right hand part of the suite was right over the catcher, and it went to the third base side. And the level was tremendous. It was it was the best. Yeah, to the point. It was of f- best, f- foul ball Better than behind the plate. It was better than behind the plate. I thought. What to the point? What? Oh, a foul ball almost hit Bonnie. Yeah, almost hit Bonnie. Oh. Took her out. You know what are you going to do with yeah. her, Mister? I mean, Met Bonnie's side. a Mets fan. You know, <laughs> holding Mister Met. and if she went out that way, I think she'd be happy. <laughs> the,
2: hi- the highlight is as we're walking out. I don't. I'm sure. My generation has seen this with your parents as your parents struggle to put on a mask. So you trying to act quickly, we're leaving to go to the elevator. The, uh, you always put it on in that sort of half mask style where it folds up under itself.
1: I didn't understand. It was a new mask and I, it's not a blue one. It was a white one. And Michael said, if you don't change that mask, I'm not walking with you. If you don't pull down the bottom. I didn't even know the bottom wasn't pulled down. <laughs> I'm not walking with you. My preschooler can put a mask on better. So anyway, but it was, it's, it's, it's
2: ironic. We saw uh, all
1: the scoring, first three innings. We got to see a
2: Soto home run. I took yeah. a picture, sent it to the kids. Of course, my son's first reaction. Is, Soto. Why are your seats so far away? <laughs> and then he's like, the next day, how, were, how? I watched it on TV. How were you able to see it at the same time that I saw it on TV? So that was a different kind of conversation. That's yeah. so very cool. Yeah. It was really good. Ironic that Alan got you the, the parking, yeah. because his his parking when he goes and parks in the garage is, is he's got a very interesting attitude towards
1: what's a legal spot. Alan parks <laughs> wherever he wants and it's, doesn't care if his car gets hit and has never cared if his car gets hit. It's it's he light. buys cars well beneath his station because he doesn't care if they get hit. It's one of the greatest moves. He's, yeah, I'll park right here. Pa- yeah, just park here. I don't think it's legal.
2: Ah, don't, don't worry about it. Just yeah. get out. We're not staying for the whole game. It's okay.
1: <laughs> it's really It was a really nice reward for people who work in D.C. You know, when you don't work in Bristol, you're happy. You don't really want to work in Bristol. But well, that is a nice thing. But you always feel that You're not considered or taken for granted. So the fact that Norby got this suite was great. And I saw people that I literally hadn't seen in over two years, you know, just to say hello, which was very nice to be able to do that. Had a half a glass of wine and a sandwich and and, um, enjoyed myself very much, even though I obviously behaved under the standard that my son has set for me. But I mean, I didn't understand why we couldn't, you know, just walk us there You know, take out a gun. (laughs) Put it to our heads. It's okay. (laughs) Our car's there. It's okay. One other thing I wanted to talk about. Rich Strike is out of the Preakness. Yeah. They're not running the horse. Uh, They think it's too short a turnaround to run this horse. They're not going for the Triple Crown. Let me review this. They saw the behavior after the race. Yeah, let me, and yeah, and then they found out the jockey's been suspended 3,000 times in the last year. But let me just review this for a second. Do we have to get out right now? No, no, we're good. Let me review this for a second. They're not trying for the Triple Crown. This horse wasn't even in the race till Friday. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there for the post position. It's the greatest upset ever in the Kentucky Derby. And they're not going for the Triple Crown. Now, the horse can't win. Nobody thinks the horse can win. They're going to go to the Belmont. Maybe they think they can win the Belmont. If they win the Belmont, they've won two of the three. And they're banging their heads against the wall that they didn't go in the second one. Everybody goes in the Preakness. But they say this is sort of like pitchers. You know, it's sort of like starting pitchers. Like you don't want to make a guy start on three days rest if he's used to starting on five days rest. This horse is used to going every six weeks. Yeah. But it never wins. <laughs> it's not a good horse. It's just tough. Anyway, it takes the interesting.
2: takes the derby out of play immediately, you know, and you're
1: just like, ugh. Oh, it's a triple crown rather. Yeah, yeah, it takes it out. It's an interesting Business So next decision? week we'll talk to Andrew. I mean, the horse's about it. stock can't be higher. Right. Yeah, I think they just said and Then don't run it at all again. Yeah. Then never run it again and sell the horse into stud. Yeah. Never run the horse. Don't risk a loss. Yeah. I mean, okay. All right, so when we is it Bob Ryan or Abby? Abby. Abby Lowell, when we come back, the smartest man in Washington, D.C., we have two lines of questioning one about sports and one about real life and protests. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,
0: you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
1: this is sent to us by keith boyd who writes i've been listening since the early days when andy poley and dan the duke davis were regulars in fact i still have over twenty thousand post points i have no idea how to redeem them (laughs) your radio show podcast and its various incarnations has brought me so much enjoyment over the years and i'm thankful for that i wanted to send in a couple of songs from the band that my son conrad plays in called the never-ending fall they were formed for the fourth grade talent show at youth's benefit elementary school in falston maryland They're now in their mid 20s and still making music. They're headed to LA in June to hopefully make the right contacts to break through. Pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good. Yes. This is a song called Hillside. We'll play another song later in the show. This is a song called Hillside, and it plays in the smartest man in Washington, Abby Lowell. And we have two lines of questioning here one is sports, and one is real life. Let's start with sports, Abby. The PGA is either implicitly, or I believe explicitly, threatening suspensions for players who play on their tour if they go elsewhere without permission. That would be the Saudi Golf League in the near term. Can they do that? Is that legal? Hey,
0: Tony. So the answer, like everything else in life, is in a simple yes and no question. So the PGA is a membership organization. You basically decide to join it. And then you are part of either creating or agreeing to the rules and membership rules that say thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that aren't boundless. You can't, you know, discriminate on the basis of some protected class, be it gender, ethnicity, or race. But there are rules that you contractually can decide to bind yourself about. And then the question will be as to what extent. And what will kick in as to the contracts or the agreements between the members and the PGA will be a set of rules that you all know and love in sports world, which will be the antitrust laws. You know, and baseball has an exemption, et cetera, et cetera. So anti-competitive behavior, like the PGA saying you cannot go and play in Saudi, you can't go play someplace else, you have to do so many tournaments, you can't do this and you can't do that, will be scrutinized at some level based on whether they are anti-competitive under creating a monopoly for example what makes this more complicated is as I started with this is an agreement that the members themselves said this is what we want to be and how we want to govern ourselves so more leeway or discretion will be given to an organization as long as it's not trampling on constitutionally protected rights okay so that's kind of the overview can it so- do it it can do it but only to an extent have they crossed the line You know, I don't know. And what makes this even more kind of complicated is that the spokespeople for the proposition that this is anti-competitive, guys like Nicholson or you know, are are saying things that are not making them more attractive to those that are looking. Right.
1: Right. Well, that's true. But as is Greg Norman on the other side saying things that are completely unattractive and probably shouldn't be out there as a spokesperson when you're going to have to take questions about you know murders. (laughs) You know, I mean, the
0: both ha- of them being the spokespeople for the proposition that the PGA is doing wrong by having people not be able to play in Saudi would be the equivalent of a double bogey.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I, I get that. Um, if if a lawsuit were brought, how long would it take to settle? Would, would a court say we have to settle this soon and urgently because this is going on right now? Or would the process take years? Well, that's what's so
0: this is what the people who might interpose the challenge are going to do. They're not just going to file the lawsuit and say, okay, now we're going to wait to see when we get in front of a jury or a judge, which these days could take years. But they'll do something called filing for an injunction. And that's another set of requirements. In order to get a court to enjoin, you have to primarily show that your injury is irreparable. It cannot be compensated by normal funds or money or damages. It has to be something that if you court doesn't intervene, something precious has been lost and the toothpaste is out of the tube and it can't be back. So the question here will be, does that apply? If Let's assume there's a great proposition that this is anti-competitive to the point of violating the antitrust laws. Then you bring a case, you ask for a preliminary injunction. Is it a reparable harm? That's a whole other issue. Could this be compensated with money? Probably it could be. But that's how you could try to short-circuit the normal long course of litigation by bringing it as way of an injunction.
1: Okay, let's just say, we'll throw out a name because it has been written that Bubba Watson wants to play in the Saudi Golf League. This guy has won majors. He's well-known. Not the draw he used to be, but but a well-known guy. If he were to bring a lawsuit... Would this be for him individually or a class action lawsuit for all golfers involved with the PGA?
0: It could be either or both in the sense that he doesn't necessarily have to bring it as a um, class action, which is yet another, gosh, you've like, you know into law school already in all of our chats. So a class action is a case in which a person brings an action with an injury that the person says is shared by so many people mm-hmm. that it would be, in a, there's an inability for them all to join as individual plaintiffs. And you don't have to do that in this case. I mean, that's like when there's a, you know, a, a, a pharmaceutical, a drug or something, for example, that affects thousands and thousands of people. Um, here i mean it is not that big a class and second of all in a, a case brought by watson versus pga would be one in which if a court said it is a restraint of trade it's a monopoly it's anti-competitive and enjoins it then every other person could jump on that ruling and okay. it would not be able to be enforced you saw for example a single judge in the middle of texas ruling that something that he or thought was not legal in the Biden administration, stop that from happening across the entire United States. So it doesn't have to be a class action.
1: All right. So let's get to the big question here. You're a great lawyer. Which side would you rather be on in this particular issue?
0: You know, it's kind of a, a mixed bag as I look at it. You know, legally, I understand why in a sports arena context where what you're talking about is Who's going to pay the many millions of dollars to people that earn many millions of dollars? Is it going to be the American entity or the Saudi or the Chinese or some other? You don't have a lot of sympathy for that equation. On the other hand, anything that strikes as not allowing people to make their own choices and play where they want to play and say what they want to say seems to me to be you know, the PGA being a little too ham-handed. So in that case, what I think is it would have been better if the tournament was being sponsored by a place in which there was a little bit more sympathy, but the (laughs) anti-competitive nature of this strikes me as one where I'd probably err on the side of, you can't, as long as it's compatible. Look, the PGA grants waivers to people all the time. Yes, to to play in the European tour
1: and the Asian tour, yes, all the time, just not now.
0: Just not now. And so the reason is that those are one-offs. What we know about this is that the Saudis want to create a competitive league to be in effect for a long time. That would be a direct competition to the PGA. Yes, and yes. that's why the PGA is coming down so hard. In this case, you know, I'd say let the market bear and see where the people want to go. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let the, MG, uh, the PGA do this. I mean, this is the, you know, I, I was thinking about the legal aspects of here, and it's complicated. But it's a little bit like the, a water hazard, you know. If a golfer hits the ball, you'll know this. A little bit too hard to the right or left, it goes in the water. If you are a little bit more finessed, then it stays on the fairway. And in this case, I think the PGA is in the water.
1: Okay. All right. Let's move on to another big topic. Uh, Governors of Virginia and Maryland the other day asked Merrick Garland to stop protests in front of Supreme Court justices, um, which have been happening for the last few weeks or so, I will skip the obvious irony that Merrick Garland could have been one of those Supreme Court justices if enough Republicans had not tried to bar him in the last days of the Obama administration. And I will ask you this. Um, do, do you, the, the law that is being cited to stop this, do you believe it is, it is valid and that these things should be stopped on the basis of law?
0: So there is a law that people are now Finding out about it was passed in like 1950, and it's not just about the Supreme Court, it's about a law that says that thou shalt not take actions, protests, do things like interfere with the deliberations of a judge or a court, including demonstrations. And here's the kicker with the intent to influence the decision. So in the law, there is two challenges that you can make. Sometimes somebody says that a law is unconstitutional on its face, meaning if that law said thou shalt not open your mouth and criticize a Supreme Court justice, that would be on its face unconstitutional Mm because it doesn't have any restrictions. Here, it has a very specific operative phrase with the intent to influence the decision of a court. And what makes this not unconstitutional on its face is, that it has a specific intent requirement. However, the law doesn't say you can't protest at a justice's or a judge's house. It says you can't protest anywhere. And as you all know, every week you see people protesting outside the Supreme Court on the plaza. So theoretically, if the court is hearing an argument inside and somebody is protesting outside, that law could apply to say why you're doing this is to try to influence the decision. And yes, it's never been applied in that fashion here's the issue. The issue is, can you now say, well, okay, we don't do it when somebody's on a public street, we don't in front of the Supreme Court, but we're going to apply this law and prosecute people for doing it when you're out of residence. That's where there'd be a challenge as to the selectivity of why you're enforcing it in this context. So here's what you get. You get the idea that there's a law. It could apply on its face because it does look like people are doing this now that there was a draft for influencing the court, but it's never been applied in that fashion. And these people are on the street and on the sidewalk. Now, just because the law says something, it doesn't mean that this is what should happen, of course, right? I mean, this is just another hit to the civility that we're all experiencing in which this is beyond the pale. I mean, nobody should be protesting no matter what they think at the houses of public officials and of judges and others because that line, once you cross it, doesn't get easily you know, put back together. So the law says that but it's not been applied in the fashion that now people want it. And by the way, it's a criminal statute. Now, it's a misdemeanor. That means you can only be jailed up to a year and 5,000. It's not an injunctive relief kind of statute like I was talking about with the PGA, but you probably could bring it. So at the end of the day, here's what you got. You got a law that says it applies. It probably does apply. People are yelling for the Justice Department to enforce it. And if they do enforce it, then they've basically selectively enforced it because it doesn't Mm -hmm. say you can't do this at a person's house, because you can't do it anywhere.
1: So I then have two questions. One, if you made an appeal, um, if you wanted to shut down these protests and you made an appeal that it's very bad for the neighborhood, it's bad for traffic, it makes congestion, it's not what people signed up for when they began to live in that neighborhood, that wouldn't even apply to the law. Right, And the other thing I would ask is, if, this, if the draft is already written, who are you influencing? It's done. You're, not, you're, just, you're just protesting the decision rather than trying to influence, or am I wrong on that?
0: But that's exactly what the people that are outside are saying, which mm. is that we're not out here to try to influence. We think it's a done deal. And remember, the statute requires, quote, with the intent... To influence yeah. the decision, end quote. So that's where the rubber would meet the road in terms of what would be litigated. Um, on the other hand, that's you just put your finger on an irony. So if the Supreme Court had made the ruling yesterday, its final decision, and today all the people went to all the justices' houses and did exactly what they're doing today, the law doesn't apply.
1: That's what I thought. The question, right.
0: But the, the question is, are, you know, given that it's a draft, and we all know Supreme uh-huh. Court decisions don't end up the same way at the end that they started, virtually never. And so I don't know how many drafts they'd be if this hadn't been leaked. So here, the issue is, are you doing it with that intent? And the protesters will say, of course not. We're not going to change anybody's vote. It's going to be what it is. We're here to say what you did is wrong. And that's why it's such a difficult case to prosecute.
1: Let me just get back to this other thing. Could a local government could the government of Chevy Chase, where these some of the justices live, could they say this is creating a hazardous circumstance in this neighborhood and we have to shut it down?
0: That's a different issue, and, and yeah. you're right, there is a point where you can't do that. So, look, the police function exists in terms of protecting people, the traffic flow, the noise yeah. abatement. There are local statutes, and then the question would be, under First Amendment analysis, as you've all heard, you know, you remember the phrase that nobody has the right to cry fire in a crowded Mm -hmm. movie theater. It's called time, place, and manner. A government can restrict people's First Amendment rights based on time, place, and manner up to a point. So if they said, uh, you know, you're on the street, you can't be on the street, you have to go someplace else, you have to be a hundred yards away from the justice's house at an intersection, individual efforts to restrict the protests could be upheld and they could be knocked down. So local governments do okay. have a role here based on their policing function.
1: This is wonderful, because if I lived in Chevy Chase near a dog park, for example, and I couldn't even enjoy a glass of Chardonnay, as we heard two years ago with that great story, I would be very <laughs> upset. Abby, you're not just the smartest man in the you're the smartest person I've ever met. <laughs> Thanks, Abby. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Tony, always glad, okay? talk to Abby's you. Abby's brilliant. He's brilliant the rest of us are just (laughs) plumbers uh we'll take a break bob ryan will join us when we return to talk a little bit about basketball and stuff in boston i'm tony kornheiser
2: i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast
1: Once again, this is a band called The NeverEnding Fall, and Keith Boyd writes, I would be so grateful if you could play a few of their songs on your show. Several of the members, including my son Conrad, are graduates from the Towson University Jazz Performing Arts Program. Their music has evolved into a fusion of rock and funk with a dash of jazz. And this is a song called Trisha. This is a very talented group of people. Yeah. Right? I love that they, you know,
2: formed a grammar school, you know, at some talent show, and like 10 years later, and they're
1: really good. You can listen to this music at the end of the podcast if you choose to without our interruption. Michael, if people want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by uh, emailing it to jingles at com. Bob Ryan, the quintessential American sports writer, joins us now. He has a new book out. Please give the title of the book and we will get to it in a while. Please.
3: It is entitled, In Scoring Position, 40 Years of a Baseball Love Affair. It is written by myself and my very necessary and important uh, partner, Bill Chuck.
1: Forty years. It's well, got to well, be longer that, than... See, that's
3: the, that's the 40. publisher. It's, it's more than that. Actually, my baseball love affair is... is uh, seriously, it's 70 years. But yeah. uh, my, my, But for this, you know, this is what they put for it. Forties have got a better ring to it than 44, which is how many years are encompassed in this book. Uh, and that's that, but that's you know that's just
1: showbiz. As Wilbon would say, marketing people ruin <laughs> yes, everything. Exactly. He's got ruin it. everything. <laughs> All right, let's start with the Celtics. The Celtics, by my reckoning, should have won this series four to one. Uh, they got two games that they won, and the two games that they lost were heartbreaking games. Um, but they're now down three to two. You like the team, I know, because we talked about them a couple of weeks ago. They were so great against the Nets. This is a devastating loss at home. Will they come back from this and win Game 6?
3: We're going to find out, quote-unquote, what they are made of. Now, we know what Milwaukee's made of. Uh, They are a defending champion, and they uh, answered the bell when they had to do it uh, in in Game 5 in Boston. Uh, And and the Celtics now have to go to Milwaukee and and show what they're made of. Look, here's the... um, Step back, just take a neutral uh, sports fan viewpoint. What we saw in, in these last two games, think about it. In, in the prior game, it was the Celtics who had the fourth quarter comeback. And uh, here's what they were saying up here afterward. That's the game that if and when they were to win in 2022, you point to as the milestone game that showed what, what they were all about. This, this metal, this heart, this gumption, this talent, blah, blah. One, two nights later, it's Milwaukee coming from behind in the fourth quarter, showing what they're made of, quote-unquote. And this is sport. It's just great sport. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at it from, from that point. They're all flawed human beings. And then one other thing you have to remember, I, I get just nonsense about, oh, they blew a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. Tell me, what are you Just a rough estimate in, in the history of the NBA since 1946. How many 14-point uh, fourth-quarter leads do you think have been blown? 10,000? Uh, 5,000?
1: It's an awful a lot. lot. It an happens. awful lot. It's the
3: NBA. It's yeah. the context here that got people upset. And here's my final statement on the matter. Every comeback, everyone, in every sport has to include screw ups on the other side. It's not just a positive statement. You need the other team to do something wrong. Hang in the curveball, fumble. Uh, you know, set to miss the dunk, uh, 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 empty net, you know, a uh, uh, stupid uh, two-on-up, up, you know, hockey, anything. Okay. Yeah. And in this game, the Celtics got care- careless. There were two damaging turnovers that led to uh, Bucks points and two damaging putbacks. The last of which, with 11 seconds to go on a missed free throw, Bobby which is Portis. a cardinal sin, as you know, yeah. was the over-go-ahead basket. So uh, they contributed m- very m- much to their own demise. And they know it, and they said it. They, yeah. To their credit, they manned up on that.
1: Um, for people who wonder why this happens in basketball more, more than in other sports, it's very simple. The most important rule in basketball is 24-second clock. The team gets the ball back, so, so you can't stick it in the freezer. Like, you can't do that. You used to be able to. You can't do that anymore. Two plays, great plays. Bobby Portis's play was a great play. Should never have happened. Drew Holiday's play was extraordinary, Mm. and you can't blame anybody on Boston for that, right? Those are the two plays.
3: That is correct. Drew Holiday gets full credit – uh, come, uh, seeing what was going on, uh, seeing that Smart had, uh, was on his way to the basket, and coming from behind, and not only blocking the shot, but in an in, in extraordinary athletic maneuver, threw it off of Smart out of bounds to retain possession. That was part B, and the necessary part B. Drew Holiday then stole the ball from Smart on the final right. possession off the dribble. That is one tough guy. Now, you've got two really tough guys there, Smart and Holiday, and Holiday won that exchange. And don't think Smart hasn't filed it away way. Uh, Drew Holiday is, a, is a indispensable. You know, that was one of the great moves they made to trade Eric, get rid of Eric Bledsoe, uh, who was a mistake prone, and get a guy with the, with the toughness of Drew Holiday.
1: So, Holiday makes a great play. Portis's play, again, should have been boxed out, shouldn't have happened, fell off somebody's fingertips. Marcus Smart had a real bad last 30 seconds. A real bad last 30 seconds, right? What, a, what happens as a result of that?
3: Well he's, he 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 up and uh that that's good. Uh that so what happens is we you know wipe the slate clean and um, he he knows he, you know, he also, earlier in the game, he had one of those turnovers that I alluded to, a sloppy pass involved. You know, they got careless with the lead. They did get careless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it happens, you know. They, they, and they did kind of work the clock in the contents of the 24 a little too much, uh, sitting on the lead a little too much, whereas Milwaukee, coming from behind, was forcing the up to the tempo. And, uh, and you know, you knew all along, by the way, that Milwaukee, uh, who had been shooting poorly with threes sooner or later, would make some threes, and indeed they did in the fourth quarter. Uh, but anyway, Mark is smart. He, he'll, I, I'm a big, I'm a charter member of the fan club tone. He's okay. member, and, and I'm, I'm expecting him to play well. I'm expecting a good game. That's all I can say. I'm going to just go for people who want, you know, you're down 3 2. Lots of teams have come back from 3 2. The Celtics in 88, I will go point this out, lost game five at home to a very good Atlanta Hawks team and, and went down to Atlanta and won game six behind a great performance by Dennis Johnson, leading us to a game I'm sure you remember, game seven, the Bird Dominique shootout. That's right. In which Dominique had 47 and Larry had 34, 20 of which came in the fourth quarter, and in which he shot nine for 10. And the Celtics came behind, won the game. Uh, this is one of the great games I've ever seen in the NBA. It was final score was 118, 116, 234 points and 15 combined turnovers in between those two teams.
2: Not
1: many. But anyway,
3: I don't expect a game like that. Uh, if there is a seven, but uh, uh, anyway, yeah. it can happen.
1: I'm going to ask you about Brady and this alleged new job, but I want to I want to stay with basketball for a second. How about the dog show that Philadelphia put on last night in the third quarter? How about that at home? How about everybody, I have to sit with Wilbon telling me how he voted for Joel Embiid for MVP. Seven for 24, Joel Embiid. At home in a game that's important, you know. Shut up, Joel Embiid. Stop yapping. That is a dog show, and and Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey and all of them. And now they're stuck with James Harden. I mean, what do you make of that?
3: Uh, not much. I mean, uh, now uh, one thing I'll say: Embiid. You know, he's he's not. He's help, he's hurt. I mean, you know, he, he you know he's hurt, and and it, 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 he you through it as far as he could. I'm not going to come down totally hard on him. He was terrible okay. last night, but yeah. it was almost inevitable that it was going to, he's going to have a game like that, trying to battle through the stuff he's battling through physically. I, I am giving him the benefit of the doubt there. James Harden, I've never liked the game. I'm saying, I don't know. He might, be, he might be a fine person away from the court, but I hate the way he plays basketball. And I hate the fact that it's effective. <laughs> it yeah. you know, drives me nuts. Yeah. And, and now he is no longer as effective. And and you know I just in a sense of I mean this professionally I don't care about James Hart, you know uh, uh, they're stuck with him. You're absolutely right, and and, and uh, there's there's a contract situation and brewing. And good luck to them. Obviously, I feel bad about the whole thing because I am a uh, you know I, I really like Doc Rivers. I, I I'm I feel that I'm a you know if not a friend, a very high level acquaintance of his, and I I, I root for him. And and uh, well, yet again he's going to have to face up. The, to a, uh, you know, people are going to be pointing that finger at him because yep. it's not the first time that one of his teams has, has imploded in the playoffs.
1: Uh, let me get to one other basketball question that you might have an answer to and I don't. Well, I do, but it's an insidious answer. John Morant, he's a great player. We all know he's a great player. His team is 21-6 and six without <laughs> him. 21! This is not a small sample size. This isn't last weekend. <laughs> They're 21-6 and six without him. The conclusion it leads me to is twofold. One, he's a selfish player, and two, they don't like him. They'd rather not have him on the court. Now, maybe I'm wrong about this, but he is an undeniably great player. Bobby, how can they be 21-6 and six without him?
3: I don't know, and I felt this. Uh, I was on uh, Around the, the other day and my position was that yeah, yeah, yeah. They had that record uh, without him during the regular season, and who cares what happened in February and January, that now we're in the playoffs and it's a different matter. They're playing a better team and they need him. And whereupon they went out and destroyed the opposition <laughs> without him. That's right. Uh, I don't have it. I, I am, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to give you the an honest answer. I have no leaping idea what's yeah. going on there. I don't. And I mean because his talent is undeniable. He yeah. is a spectacular, explosive player. Uh, and, and, and a fun player you know, that you want to see. I don't have the answer. Uh, I hadn't framed it the way you did, but then again, we don't always think the same way.
1: That's exactly <laughs> true. All right, let me get to Tom Brady. Tom Brady, if he ever retires, is apparently <laughs> going to go to Fox, and whoever is the lead analyst is going to be out the door. See you around. Have a good life. And Tom Brady has signed, uh, I don't know, an 80-year, $5 billion deal. <laughs> you know Tom Brady. You know him a lot better than I know him. I don't see this. I I don't see him in a booth. I don't see him enjoying it or being particularly good at at it. How about you? Well,
3: as far as the money is concerned, you know whatever they want to pay, that's up to Fox. More and more power to him or anybody else for getting the money. We agree. It's not you know he's he's be foolish not to accept it. That's I right. saw that part. It's it's needless is absolutely, utterly and completely needless. Uh, we can have a philosophical discussion about the value of color men I mean, and the idea of Romo getting $18 million for what. And and uh, Tom Brady does not fit the profile of a, of, of a potentially entertaining... Uh, uh, oh. It could be informative if he chooses to be so. The, the first question we're all asking, will we be willing to be critical? Uh, no. Is, it, it, it's is not. that bone in his body? I don't know. But I, I just, like so many, this is not an original thought, but I, I subscribe to the theory that, that, that in, it's most likely he will be yet another failed uh, great player uh, along the lines of Oscar Robertson, who was a woeful commentator in the NBA 40 years ago. And then, of course, the one that's held up as the standard of, of ineptitude and of blandness and boredom and is Joe Montana. Who oh, quit? Of course, is the Joe Montana pup on the field. Yes. And, and uh, I see no evidence that he will be anything but the Joe Montana redux in the booth.
1: Joe Montana knew after a year and a half or two that it wasn't for him, and smartly, Joe Montana got out of this thing. It just, you know, Tom Brady, he's a great player. He's not Peyton Manning.
3: It, it it's no, he's not the Mannings. Peyton Manning. No. Oh yeah, not even he's remotely Peyton Manning. And you know, then again, you know, there's more to it. Tony, I don't have to tell you. You, can, I'm sure you've been telling the world. You know, you don't just show up at the game an hour no. before the game. No. Uh, and, 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 and put on the headset. There's a lot goes into it and days of work. And, and, and does he really want to go through all that? I don't know. You you, just... you know better far better than I. You've done it. Okay. I, I, but I've I know seen that it's him. there.
1: Yeah, I've seen him on these golf things, and he's better than you think he's going to be. But they're once a year. This is every single week, and it's there's homework involved, and there's talking. It's just I don't I don't see it personally. I plug your I book it, again, but, and, and
3: I just you know the, 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 I just laugh that that they think that, that you have to have the name when you know I mean you know I mean it, it's. Well, it's a it's a strange industry, as you yeah. well know. It's a very strange industry, whether it's broadcasting and 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 it's subjective. But there's no, there's nothing more subjective than, than people evaluating announcers. You know, with the yeah. people, it's like the, the uh, Hindu, the Hindu and the six blind Hindu men and the elephant. You know, six people can listen to the same game and come away with six different conclusions about the pos, about the opinion. I, I mean, the uh, you know, the sentiments of the of the color man.
1: Yeah. Plug the book. Tell us the title again. People get it. It's
3: called In Scoring Position... Forty years of a baseball love affair written with uh, with Bill Chuck. Now here's the uh, snot. I have kept score at every baseball game I've I've attended, including whether professional or personal, since yeah. the beginning of the 1977 season, a year in which I was the beat man on the Boston Globe for the Boston Red Sox. When I was gotten off, I got off the beat after a year because my the great Peter Gammons uh, returned to reclaim his rightful post. Uh, he had been with Sports Illustrated for a while, and I kept keeping score at every game because. I like it. It's fun. It keeps you in the game, and I enjoy it. And I and I feel naked that uh, the game uh, that I hadn't even been at the game if I don't keep score. It's just the way I am. Uh, now, fast forward in 2020 in April, Bill Chuck, who was a demon researcher and historian and and, um, and you know baseball maven, and I were having a conversation, and on the phone, and the subject of my books came up, and he said, I think you've got a book with your score books, and I said. Oh, come on, you know, Baba. He said, no, I want you to run the idea by some people and see what they think. And I did, and, and I got a positive response, and I took it to my agent, Andrew Blanner, and got a positive response, and he sold the book to Triumph Books, and here we are. And what the book is, is you, you'll see a representation of the scorebook page at the top of, the, of the, each item. And then I write what it's all about, and, and what, what tidbits in there, what history is in there, what, what, what oddity, what, what person that, of interest is in there, and for what reason. And then Bill writes... Uh, uh, his take, which is maybe historical, or the last time this happened, that happened, or flesh out uh, with additional information about the person in question or other people. And we have 150 games accounted for over out of the 1,500 that I've attended since the beginning of the 1977 season. That's what it's all about. It, Tony, it's a niche book if there ever was one. If you're a casual baseball fan, you shrug your shoulder. If you really love baseball, I'm here to tell you, and all immodesty, there's no other book like it on the market. And you'll love
1: it. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I keep score, too. I'm one of those loons. I do it the same way. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, thank
3: you. Okay, thanks for having me. Bye-bye.
1: Bob Ryan, the quintessential American sports writer. We'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
2: This is The Tony Kornheiser Show.
4: I'm getting old and I'm forgetting things But that's what closing in on 80 brings I hate to fly on that bridge I might die Some things, they'll never change I'll still call Michael when it rains. (laughs) If you're out on your bike tonight, as I always say to you, please do wear white. I still love to read you emails, faxes, and notes, and I still rant and complain. And I'll still call Michael when it rains.
1: This is probably the greatest Everly Brothers tune, "Crying in the Rain," <laughs> and they have a hundred great tunes. That's Joe Arrow. That's tremendous. He writes, I was visiting my parents over the weekend, and my dad was using his Google Home to request his favorite songs like he does most Saturdays. As your son will tell you, Google Home is just another version of your Alexa. So one of the songs he requested was this Everly Brothers classic. I grew up listening to my dad's music, as many of us do, but I'd forgotten how great this particular tune was. All of the Everly Brothers catalog, for that matter. Anyway, of course, I had to come up with some alternate lyrics. Really hope you like it. Joe Arrow's just... Just That's fantastic. Just so great. The, the voice is, is Beth- perfect for it. Yeah, yeah, it's just great. You yeah. want to do the Bethesda Bagel? After?
2: Yes, thank you. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then
1: pop on in and you'll be thrilled. All right, before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, I don't mind other guys dancing with my girl. That's fine. I know them all pretty well, but I know sometimes I must get out in the light. Better leave her behind where the kids are all right. The kids are all right. We do that for Dan Byrne, who's opening for the Who. (laughs) Never in a million years did Dan Byrne think he would ever open for the Who. Who? Yeah, it's just (laughs) unbelievable. Thanks to our guests today. Brilliant guest day. Abby Lowell, smartest man in Washington, D.C. Bob Ryan. Thanks to the sponsors today, Indochino Progressive Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you catch out through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Here we go. Um, This is from Matt Turner Greetings from Troy, New York, home of Uncle Sam. Yes, that Uncle Sam. There have been many times that I've considered writing in, but because I'm catching up on the pod over the weekend and don't think of it the next week, it all gets away from me. However, two recent David Aldridge moments have inspired me. The first was when you played the music of Dr. Emma Torncello submitted by her father, Peter Tornello, a recently appointed city court judge in Waterfleet, just across the river from Troy. On that occasion, I called Peter, and when he called back, I answered, Are you a little? His chuckling <laughs> response told me all that I needed to know. The second <laughs> occasion was on last Friday's show, Give me the gate code. When during the email and jingle section, you mentioned Rocky's announcer, Drew Goodman. I was mowing my lawn, and of course I shouted out, hey, I know that announcer. Drew was a class ahead of me at Fox Lane High School in Bedford, New York, and we played football and baseball together. He was a tough and talented athlete, but an even better leader, serving as captain on both teams. You did not want to disappoint Drew with a lack of effort. It's not surprising that he's found success in his field. It is this connective tissue that makes me love listening to the show. Keep up the good work. It's remarkable when this happens. Tremendous. From Patrick Sitter, who writes us a lot, from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Burnt, broken, and dark. Sounds like the kind of pretzels Louise Gluck would like. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. Will Katz in Los Angeles. You have no accomplishments? Really? Sure, Farmer Hines is in space, but is he a Hoffwaff?: well, He probably is. <laughs> from Joe Arrow himself. So this week we find out they're listening to the podcast in outer space. Does this include Uranus? <laughs> from Timothy Gombus who writes, uh, a new name for Chatter, are you okay with Cheers? <laughs> I will tell you that Cheers is probably the greatest name for a bar of all time. Yeah, it's just tremendous. Um, everybody remembers the first time they saw the show. Everybody remembers the first time they heard the song. It, it, cheers is a great television show. really was. And it gave rise to so many characters. Oh, sure. Just a great television show. From Kelly Hodges in Pocatello, Idaho. When I heard you took the HVAC from Chatter, I immediately wondered about the whereabouts of the waterless urinals. <laughs> Perhaps they would help reduce your insane water bills at the beach. (laughs) At your age, they'd be a great addition. Next to the scorecards in the elevator. <laughs> it, you know, I should have taken them. Yeah. I never did. Trying to put have. that H back into our attic. Yeah. From, you can take it out of the house, little house when you want. From Bobby Gottfried, on Wednesday's show, you read a note from Shane Ryan about his new Ryder Cup book. And my immediate thought was, I know that guy. Shane is a friend, my online trivia teammate, and the founder of a Ryder Cup-style tournament called the Channels Cup, where last year his team, Carolinas, won the trophy despite my 4-0 record in my matches. While I could tell him myself I'd appreciate it if you let him know that Team World is coming for the trophy this year, in the event to be held on Cape Cod in September and also tell Aaron Kirschenfeld to eat it. Okay, Bobby, I did that. <laughs> From Doug in Sterling, regarding yogurt and cottage cheese, I have a very simple rule I follow. I don't eat anything that looks like it's been eaten before once. A fair, okay. fairly good guideline. From Jeff in Lebanon, in Pennsylvania. Great news, the Aldi's in Lebanon, Pennsylvania is fully stocked with coffee ice cream, but the bad news is that the Golden Corral, once frequented by Gary, closed. One step forward, two steps back, so it goes in central Pennsylvania. Also, while I'm emailing, I thought you'd like to know that the Lebanon Valley College Men's and Women's Teams have finished the regular season undefeated in conference play. Two matches to go for an automatic berth in the D3 NCAA tournament. Is it worthy of us becoming the official tennis team from the MAC conference for the Tony Kornheiser show? Sure, if so, I'll, sh- I'll share with our players, and I'm sure it'll be all the confidence boost we need to get the job done. Absolutely. Yeah, good luck. From Niels Langerice who writes, you will not believe it, but you actually have a fan right across the big pond in Europe and in this case, the Netherlands. I've been a great fan of the PTI show for over 10 years. I've only recently discovered your wonderful podcast. It's turned out to be one of my favorite podcasts on my daily commute, where your show provides a whole lot of unique East Coast perspective on talking about absolutely nothing. At the same time, I recognize you're providing a vital community service for people on Long Island and the surrounding area and educating them on why Subaru owners are terrible people and where coffee flavor from Baskin Robbins is the only good flavor and how sea salt should be banned as a continent, especially when it is used into or onto food that did not need any additional seasoning in the first place. Anyway, I digress and ramble as people tend to do when they're contacting one of their sports writing heroes. The reason I wanted to email you is due to a completely unrelated issue as I've only recently found out that the famous term bucket list has come into our existence and daily used lexicon after the movie that carries the same name which was released in 2007. How is this possible? This is called the Mandela Effect, but how this fact can possibly trigger a global memory changing phenomenon beats me. Anyway, I feel you have much more influence in the world of high flyers and overly paid production type people to find out the truth about the seemingly impossible factoid. Furthermore, I can only assume you have a close personal interest in understanding the principles of the bucket list, as you keep constantly reminding us that you are old and might be of the right age to start <laughs> kicking the bucket. Keep me posted on your findings. This is from Amsterdam. Isn't that lovely? Is that, that's it's from great. Robert Harper. I finally got a DA moment. I'm listening to the podcast, and lo and behold, the email segment arrives. You read an email about a guy who spoke about the Trinidadian Maruga scorpion pepper, where I screamed out, I know that country and pepper. I, of course, live there, and that pepper disintegrates the intestines of people all over the world. The simple things that make you proud. The connective tissue of the show that crosses the ocean. A haiku from Shad. A roulette system? Eddie spinning the wheel, or Gooch got a magnet? I don't think... (laughs) I think they cheated. I think they'd have been tossed if they cheated. Uh, from John Lorenz in Loveland, Ohio, as the official arbiter of all things numerological. Any thoughts on my official half marathon time of 1.30.31, achieved on May 1st at Cincinnati's Flying Pig Marathon? I can't compete with a marathon full house of three thirty three fifty five, and while I'm happy the time got revised down from 1.30.32 because 30 and 31 have consecutive number appeal, I can't help but feel I let you and the show down by not scaling back my effort just a bit to engineer a one thirty Thirty-one, thirty-one finish because nothing beats a palindrome. Hopefully, I can make up for it by presenting the following photo of my race bib, and it says "The Flying Pig Half Marathon" and says La <laughs> That's so number eight five seven seven. Lachizerie. That's phenomenal. From Steve Hawk in North Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Wait, wrong podcast. Sorry. <laughs> From Ken Scudder in, but not yeah. of Philly. So you keep a journal. And in it, you write the mundane th- mundane things that happen to you every day. And you say you don't want to share that with the world. Isn't that the pot? What have I been listening to for 20 <laughs> plus years? And one more for Daniel Baker, who's the vice president of the Minnesota Chemical Company. After I heard Bill Isaacson, not that Bill Isaacson, mention famous Marquette University high school grads, I had to mention one more. I'm a class of 1980 alum and a classmate of Bob Isaacson, who was that Bill Isaacson's younger brother. Tom Snyder, the host of Tomorrow and the Late Late Show, graduated from MUHS in 1955. His unique style of conversing with his off-camera crew, smoking on air, and bellowing laugh was so popular that it became a bit for Dan Aykroyd on Saturday night, Saturday night Live. P.S. During winter months, I keep the heat at 69 degrees during the day and 63 overnight. Tom Snyder was wondrous. Yeah. Wondrous. And he did. He smoked all the time. He was really good. He sort of invented real late night talk shows. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the after Carson stuff. Yeah, you know, that Letterman sort of picked up the mantle yeah, from him. Yeah, he, in, he invented that stuff. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white.
3: Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! <laughs>
4: My love into the dark. I've been looking to the stars for the reason I'm a part of the universe around me. Transcendental thought. Keeps me up at night when the moon is bright. Shiny path of light that will be mine.